Off, I just want to thank everybody for joining. This joining. meeting is being recorded. Meeting's being recorded. Okay. Thank you for joining us this evening. Um, we're here focusing on vaccine confidence and to hear, to hear the facts from the medical professionals. Um, we hope for this to be a series. The mission of the series is to feature discussions about public health initiatives that the city has taken, dispel misinformation. Oh, not working. Sorry. Just. Spell misinformation on COVID and vaccines and encourage everyone to get vaccinated. I'd first like to start by letting you know how Medford and our hardworking Board of Health has responded to the COVID pandemic and how we are working to get as many people vaccinated as possible so that we can continue to reopen and get back to normal safely. Medford has been a leader on COVID. We've administered hundreds of thousands of dollars to local restaurants and businesses to help navigate health restrictions and safely serve the community. We have been a leading voice for opening our schools back up to our, our children. Medford was the first in the state to start testing our students and teachers. We were among the first in the state to get our students back to school by adhering to health protocols and securing grant funding to begin a pool testing program throughout the district. Our regular testing program started in September and then we switched to pool testing in January um, other districts have looked to Medford as we were able to do so safely and prove that there's little to no in-school transmission. We are now focused on vaccinations. We have worked hard and are proud to say that more than half of Medford is fully vaccinated and two-thirds have received at least one dose. Thankfully, we've partnered and been able to partner with eight Metro North communities, Tufts University, and Cambridge Health Alliance to open three regional vaccination sites, making vaccine access more equitable. One site is at the Tufts Gantry Center right here in Medford and is open to walk-ins. We have partnered with school district with the school district to host vaccination clinics for the newly eligible 12 to 18 age group. The first clinic was on May 18th. I was lucky enough to volunteer and had, had a great time um, seeing all the kids come in um, and parents and we vaccinated over 280 students at the Andrews Middle School. And to date, um, overall, we vaccinated 1,700 people um, at the middle schools. Thank you to our Board of Health for all the hard work. We have devised a robust response to vaccinating the city's harder to reach population by focusing efforts on our homebound. To date, volunteers and city public health employees administered 427 doses to homebound residents and caregivers since the start of the pandemic. This is among the city's most vulnerable and hard to reach population. Um, there's more I could explain, but I, ju I just wanna leave it at a, a few bullet points of some of the great work from volunteers, the Board of Health, um, thank our partners, um, Tufts University, Cambridge Health Alliance and surrounding cities that we've been able to work with. Um, I'll now turn it over to um, Sarah Harris, who is our Medford Public Health Nurse, who will be moderating the discussion. And before you take over, Sarah, I just want to thank Dr. Luann Bruno Murtha, um, Division Chief Infectious Diseases at Cambridge Health Alliance, um, Dr. Stephen Varela, Chief Medical Officer at Melrose Wakefield Healthcare, Samuel Lewis of Mass Department of Public Health, and Gabrielle Anglade of Mass DPH. Thank you. Hi, so uh, thank you so much. Um, as I just wanted to go over a few things um, at, as we get started. 
So um, thank you again. Um, at, uh, sorry. <laughs> we have set up uh, this webinar to be able to be interpreted in several different languages. So we have interpreters for this meeting in Spanish, Portuguese, Haitian Creole, and Arabic. So if you would like to use one of the interpreters, at the bottom of your screen, you will see a globe icon with the word interpretation underneath it. Uh, what we need you to do is click on that globe icon, select the language in which you'd like to hear this meeting translated into, and then also mute the original audio. So that way you will only be hearing the uh, language that you selected. This meeting will also be recorded. So should you not uh, be able to follow along or you want to, or you have to leave early, you'll be able to look at this on our website later on. Just leave that up for a minute, just so that those of you who would like to switch into a different language have a second to do so. Brooke, you can switch to the next slide. All right, let's give everyone just a few seconds to sorry about that. Sorry, my, my screen is not moving forward. There we are. Thank you, Sarah. So the Massachusetts Department of Public Health recognizes that historical and current structural racism, ableism, and other forms of oppression have made it difficult for communities to fully trust public health, medical and, sci medical and scientific communities. We wanna be open and honest about the safety and development of the COVID-19 vaccine and what we know and we don't know at this moment in time. So thank you all for joining tonight and we hope to be able to answer some questions that you have. So just to give you some information about what Medford has done here since um, COVID-19 had started in May, um, sorry, March of 2020. We've started the Are You Okay program, which is a senior check-in phone call. And we've made over 11,000 calls to the residents of Medford. Uh, we've also enacted an emergency response team that's given out food, supplies, medications, and companion calls, which as you can see, we've had a significant amount of people who have been in need of these services as well. We've enacted the multilingual resource line as of May 17th. We've received over 1400 calls regarding the vaccine rollout, uh, contact tracing, information about housing, food, and other resources that we have here in the city of Medford. 
And things that we continue to do that you can find on our website is our seven day average of new cases, which we're very excited to see has been dropping significantly over the last few weeks, even showing a, as a day where we had a zero cases, which was very exciting. Um, and it also will show the daily positivity rates. We have uh, given support for people in both isolation and quarantine. As the mayor stated a little while ago, we ha have done a lot of COVID testing with both PCR testing and pool testing in the Medford Public Schools. We've stayed on top of tracking mask mandates and other measures put out by the Department of Public Health and have enforced them here in the city of Medford. We've worked with a lot of community partners, some of which include the Medford Public Schools, the Medford Housing Authority, Mystic Valley Elder Services. And as the mayor stated earlier, none of this would have been possible without the help of some of our amazing volunteers that we've had here in the city of Medford. Next slide. I am so sorry that Peter is not uh, listening to my commands. There we go. Perfect, thank you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so following the Mass Department of Public Health vaccine rollout, Medford followed the phase schedule for vaccinations, starting with first responders, including police, fire, um, and the EMTs. And then we started into the phases, starting with the elderly population. Once uh, this population started to be vaccinated, the city of Medford identified uh, the, one of the most vulnerable populations, which is the homebound population, and actually started vaccinating them prior to the state recognizing this vulnerability. We were also able to create a Metro North partnership utilizing three sites, the Cancer Center at Tufts, the Encore Casino, and a CHA site located in Somerville to give access to vaccines throughout the region. Next slide. Throughout Medford's rollout efforts, we've been able to vaccinate both effectively and equitably throughout the different populations here in the city of Medford. So this is just a quick graphic of where we're at percentage-wise broken down for our population. Next slide. And then this slide just has a breakdown of the vaccines administered by the Board of Health broken down by age. I do wanna point out that this slide is a little bit off due to when it was produced. And as the mayor previously stated, we did hold a very successful clinic at the Andrews School last week. We'll be there for the second vaccinations in a couple of weeks where we were able to vaccinate almost 300 um, Medford residents ages 20 and up. So if all of the most up-to-date information can be found on the 
city's website at medfordma.org. And if you want any more information in regards to the vaccine efforts that are out there throughout the state of Massachusetts, there are several different websites that you can go on, but this link right here shows you all of the data that the state is collecting and it's updated weekly for you to look at. And now while you guys are here after our brief synopsis of what we've done thus far, we're here to talk about vaccines and the safety of vaccines and how we can reach everybody here in the city of Medford. Um, the Q&A with our panelists is, we do have some questions pre um, put into this presentation, but we do strongly encourage that anybody who is watching this or maybe called in by phone does submit their questions. So at the bottom of your screen, there is a Q&A tab. If you click on that, you're able to submit questions to our panelists. So that will be monitored by some staff here at City Hall. We have several different people on our panel today. We have doctors in various medical fields, some public health officials from the Mass Department of Public Health, as well as a resident here on our panel who is willing to share her personal experience with COVID. So to introduce um, our first three panelists, we have Dr. Luann Bruno Murtha. She's the Chief of Infectious Disease and the Director of Infection Prevention at the Cambridge Health Alliance. She's also an Assistant Professor, professor at Harvard Medical School. She's board certified in both internal medicine and infectious disease. And her focus is healthcare associated infections, improvements on antibiotic use and quality improvement on hand hygiene. We also have Dr. Steven Spardella. He's the chief medical examiner, uh, the chief medical officer, my apologies, at Melrose Wakefield Healthcare. He specializes in emergency medicine and practices as an emergency room physician at Melrose Wakefield Hospital. He also has um, worked in internal medicine at both Lawrence Memorial and Melrose Wakefield Hospital and has been with the Melrose Wakefield Healthcare System for over 27 years. And finally, we have Dr. Elise Orsell. She's an assistant professor in the Division of Geographic Medicine and Infectious Diseases at Tufts Medical Center. She is, has an outpatient clinic where she specializes in HIV, hepatitis C, and substance use disorders. She provides HIV and hepatitis, care, hepatitis C um, care for people at risk for HIV and especially for people who use drugs and are incarcerated. And she was appointed as the infectious disease liaison to the Massachusetts Sheriff's Association and has been advising the county jails on COVID-19 prevention, mitigation and vaccination strategies. So thank you for being here today. We also have um, some DPH ambassadors. So as part of the vaccine equity initiative for the Department of Public Health, the, they created these positions to help um, alleviate some of the stressors on the local board of health and answer some questions that uh, residents of Massachusetts may have in regards to the COVID-19 vaccine. They're public health professionals. We're not only here to share information about COVID-19, 
but also listen to feedback and share it with the DPH. So I'd like to thank Gabrielle Anglade and Samuel Lewis for being here today, as well as Shira Cohen. So Shira, Shira is a Medford resident who both her and her family had a had experienced COVID-19. So we thought it was important to have somebody here who could tell her personal story and maybe answer some questions on a personal level that some residents may have today. So thank you, Shira, for being here as well. So as I mentioned, if you do have any questions, please enter them in the Q&A tab at the bottom of the screen and we will try and answer them as much as possible. We will answer some questions live, but other questions may be able to be answered just by, give, just by responding to the questions. So some panelists may answer directly to you or we'll answer it live. If questions are not answered, we'll make sure that they are answered and put on our website. So to kick things off, We'll start with the first question. <laughs> this is a question that I'm so sure all of the panelists have heard frequently. And if anyone would like to take charge and get us started, the first question that pops up pretty frequently, especially in my office, is that the COVID-19 vaccines were developed very fast are they safe for us to use and receive? Sarah, this is Luann. I'm happy to take that question. Perfect, um, thank you. Yes, this is a common question and it's a good question. And um, in reality, the technology and the science behind the mRNA vaccines have been studied for nearly a decade. So the science is actually rather robust. What was conducted quickly uh, was using the spike protein from the SARS-CoV-2 virus to develop the specific vaccine. And it was made possible by a huge financial investment by the federal government. And thank God for that. That's why we are where we are today, because we had a vaccine that was developed quickly in a very serious pandemic, and it is getting us to where we are today. The, um, there was a huge uh, investment and it brought together a lot of organizations, the NIH, the federal government, the CDC, and a lot of private partnerships with companies like Pfizer, BioNTech, and like Moderna, the Massachusetts company, to work together and collaborate, which is not what is typically done uh, when you have big pharmaceutical companies developing vaccines. They are in it really to be the first and to be the best and to make money. But that was not the focus. The focus was to get a vaccine to market as quickly as possible, make it as effective as possible, ensure the safety of it. And it, it was only because there was this huge investment. And the other important difference was when they did the clinical trials, there are three phases of clinical trials. They did not wait for each phase to be completed before they started phase two. So they started phase two while phase one was still being conducted. And likewise, they started the clinical trials with tens of thousands of participants 
that's the phase three study, while the phase two study was still ongoing. So they compressed the time frame for all three phases. Um, and thank God, because we needed this vaccine as quickly as we got it. Uh, so although it seems like it was a rushed endeavor, it was not. It was very carefully calculated. Uh, it was uh, a very collaborative response and there was a lot of money to make it possible. And it was a huge risk. If these vaccines turned out to be ineffective, there was billions of dollars that would have been lost and we would still be in surge. So I hope that reassures you that it wasn't a rushed endeavor. It was very carefully calculated and thank God for all the great basic science that was conducted over the preceding 10 years. Thank, thank you, Dr. Bruno Murtha for explaining that. Is there anything else that, um, I think she did a great job of explaining the answer to that question, but is there anything else that one of the other panelists would like to add? She did an awesome job explaining it. One of the, uh, if I may add one more thing, there were 10, a lot of volunteers who also participated, who gave themselves. So that also shortened the time frame, so they did not have to go for it. So part of the, part of the understanding um, that we ourselves were not volunteering to appreciate the people who stepped up. And a lot of people from different countries, from different, uh, different ages, uh, different gender, step up to be able to tend thousands of tens of thousands of people participated in uh, the vaccine studies. Um, so that's another way that we can also have some trust in its efficacy as well as its safety. Thank you for that. That was an excellent end. <laughs> so one of the questions that has come up and was a little bit further down the road, but we'll definitely address it is that this, as you could see in our graphs earlier, that one of the highest populations that is not vaccinated is the 20 to 40 year olds. And I think that a lot of the questions around infertility pop up and if it's safe for pregnant women to be vaccinated and what pregnant women who aren't vaccinated should do to protect themselves. So whoever thinks they can handle that, fully loaded question, please feel free to, to take it. Yep, Dr. Russell. Oh, yeah. Um, so there is absolutely no evidence that any of the vaccines impact fertility. Um, and I think if you hear that, you should question where the source is coming from and the motives of the person telling you that. Um, on there, I've heard rumors actually that the vaccine um, causes impotence and the contrary is true actually, where there's research actually showing that COVID can actually um, lead to it. So, you know, there is absolutely no evidence that any of these vaccines um, impact fertility. I have seen pregnant women die of COVID and being pregnant is a risk factor for severe COVID and death. Um, the decision about whether to vaccinate during pregnancy is a personal decision. I, well, I think it should be made with your OBGYN. Um, healthcare work, there were people involved in the, re, in the research studies, in the vaccine trials, who didn't know they were pregnant, but were pregnant. And, recent, and got pregnant soon after vaccination. So we know that the 
babies were born without any issues. Um, we know that healthcare workers as early as December who were pregnant made the decision off to get the vaccine. And since that time, we're six months later or so, the, the babies have been fine. So there is a mounting evidence that it is safe for pregnant women. However, it's best to discuss with your OBGYN and to put any doubts aside when I tell you that pregnant women are at risk for very severe COVID and death, um, whereas the vaccine does not cause death um, or severe COVID or, or anything like that. So I just hope that those words come through. And when you hear otherwise, because um, I know it's it's around there and I, and I know you don't know me and um, I'm just, you know, some other person on a screen, but I really fear the motives of people telling you those because they are lies. Thank you for that. Uh, I'd like to uh, reiterate everything that Dr. Roussel said is absolutely the truth. And um, two other points that I'd like to make that the CDC has a large pregnancy registry that they're maintaining and they get participants who get vaccinated and get that VSAFE app on their phone and they recruit participants into this pregnancy registry. And it has a large and increasing number of pregnant women many who, whom have delivered now. And there has been no safety signal identified on that large patient registry. And number two that I'd like to emphasize is that we now know clinical trials data that's been published is that pregnant moms who get vaccinated during pregnancy pass antibodies to their baby. And in addition to that, and they, so they protect the baby from COVID, and in addition to that, moms who breastfeed do the same thing. So breastfeeding should also be encouraged for the safety of the newborn. Great, thank you. Al along the lines of safety and vaccines, and I think this is something that Dr. Spardella being an emergency room physician um, has seen once or twice, that a lot of people are pretty hesitant to receive a vaccine if they've had an allergic reaction to a vaccine in the past, or maybe an allergic reaction to a component of the vaccine. So is there anybody that you believe should not be vaccinated, Dr. Spardella? And then anyone after that who would like to add it? Yeah, sure. I, I think, you know, the, the FDA has put out some pretty clear guidelines on who should avoid being avoid receiving the vaccine. And really, it really depends on if you have been exposed to some of the content of the vaccine itself, the actual chemicals that, that hold it together and is the, is the, the vector for it to be injected. Uh, I've got to admit, it's very difficult to know because a lot of medicines are, have some of those same uh, chemicals in it. But uh, Really, it's, it's that is that is really the only reason to avoid. That would be the only reason to avoid uh, receiving the vaccine. There are a lot of reactions that people have had to medications, which are not necessarily an anaphylactic or severe reaction, but could just be a reaction to your body is as from receiving the vaccine itself as it builds up its immunity and inflammatory re response. 
That question actually comes up quite often in our vaccine clinic and talking to people. And, and we, we understand, uh, first of all, we're, we're all prepared to intervene if someone does have a, a, a severe reaction. That's, that's one thing. We're all trained to do that. The vaccinators are trained to do that. And they're all, they're all prepared for that if, in fact, that happens. It is such a rare event. The question came up probably almost weekly in our, in our clinic around that. And there, there really was sort of a rule of thumb that if you have received, we would ask if you've ever received the vaccine and had a reaction or ever, anything ever injected into you, either as a, a shot in one of your muscles or through one of your veins, that you had a severe reaction and what were you reacting to? Very few people have those reactions. Very few people have those reactions. So it's, you won't know if you've never had such an injection, you won't know you're allergic to it. That's the crazy thing. You won't know you're allergic to it until you are. But since the, the two, at least two of the, the vaccines carry a first and second shot, some of the, the sensation you may have after the first shot may seem like an allergic reaction. And the clinicians that are in the clinic will be able to talk you through that to help determine if in fact you are eligible to receive the second vaccine. There is a big difference to, between contraindication, meaning that you shouldn't receive it, and a precaution. The precaution is, you know, the, the anaphylactic reaction is quite obvious to clinicians, you know, around shortness of breath, difficulty swallowing, and things are getting progressively worse. The overall reactions of your body and just irritation and no itching or anything like that are really just a precaution to us. And we prepare as if there may be a, a reaction. So it's a real difficult answer uh, question to answer because there are so many chemicals. There, I'll, I'll give it quite honest, a best guess on which chemicals someone might be allergic to between the different vaccines. Uh, they do, some of the vaccines have some of the same chemicals in it or some like chemicals in it, but it really, it really is a rare event. And again, it, it would, uh, the, the information that people are given before they receive the vaccine is pretty extensive. The question, if it's done correctly, the questions that are asked are, are cover quite a bit of a history around someone's responses. And the medical profession is pretty cautious about delivering the vaccine if there is a, a chance. If in fact you do have a potential to have a reaction, you can actually go through with an allergist and get tested, see what you are allergic to in, in, inside the, the, the chemicals that make up the vaccine itself to see if really you are, are a candidate to be considered someone to be contraindicated to not receive the vaccine. Again, it's really, it's just, it's such a difficult question, but the safety piece of it is people who are injecting the medication into you, administering the medication are all prepared. They understand what they're looking for. They feel comfortable in that and, and you should feel safe in receiving that. And again, you, you, you will know, and we will know if you have a reaction and it, it is a rare, rare, uh, uh, reaction. So, great, thank you. One. And as someone who's asked 
the pre-screening survey or checklist, whatever (laughs) it may be called, more times than I can remember. We do extensively ask, you know, your past medical history for sure. And then um, we do observe if you've had any history of anaphylaxis to anything, we do observe you for a longer period of time. And as Dr. Spardella mentioned, on site, we do have medication to reverse anaphylaxis. So um, at any site that is vaccinating. Perfect. Um, One other question that does pop up pretty frequently is if some, a, a big concern for people, especially in some of the service industries who are constantly out and about in the public is that they may not be they may not be documented um, and they wanna know if you can get vaccinated without getting in trouble with immigration. So I'm not sure if this is a question that one of the uh, DPH ambassadors would like to answer because I know there's been a lot of focus on that at the state level um, or anybody who'd like to jump in. Well, I could certainly respond um, since we have stood up three vaccination clinics where uh, you do not have to have any type of documentation. You do not, you, you, we don't require it. Um, and the state has also mandated that it not be required. So uh, anybody in the state can get vaccinated. Um, you don't even need to pre-register now. You don't need to um, show any type of paperwork. You basically just need to give the information and you will get vaccinated. One thing that's happening, I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, please, please. Just one thing that's happening is sometimes at centers, they'll ask uh, you to bring your um, health insurance card. And I've seen that people have seen that as a barrier, but the health insurance card is not required. Sometimes they'll tell you to bring it, but you don't have to bring it. You'll still get the vaccine without the health insurance card. It's just something that they kind of need to tell you to do. And so some of my patients have been reluctant to go if they couldn't find their health insurance card, but you don't need your health insurance card. It's just, it's, it's a process of the questions they're asking. And I fear that that side of it prevents people from showing up. That's just one more thing that people are like, oh, I can't go today. You know, I couldn't find my ID or I couldn't find this or I couldn't find that. And the fact is that no one will, no one will turn you away from a vaccine. Um, There are these steps that make us think that they'll turn away, but they really will not turn you away from getting a vaccine. Sorry about that, Sam. No, no, that was fine. That is fine. Thank you for adding that because that is very important. The the shortest and sweetest answer I'd like to give people is no, because this information that we require is kept confidential anyway, and we're not required to give them to anybody, period. So you can go uh, without hesitation or reservation. If that is a problem, we have worked hard to ensure that we have removed this barrier so that anyone and everyone can get vaccinated, even to the fact that people who now who's out of state residents can come. So we try to remove all sorts of barriers for people to get vaccinated. Thank you uh, for answering that question. So another question that we had pop up in the Q&A that I would like to get answered is, is it really safe to be able to walk around without a mask on once you're fully vaccinated? Who wants to tackle that question? (laughs) Um, 
I don't know, Dr. Bruno Martin. Uh, I mean, yeah, I would say yes. I mean, you know, the current CDC guidelines, and I think one of the frustrations is the guidelines change frequently and people sort of latch on to the ones that came out and then we change and then people are like, well, why are you changing? But the ones as of today is if you don't have a vaccine and you are socially distanced from people like on a hike, then you can go out. But if you are vaccinated, um, you can, can walk around safely. Um, there are levels to that. So, you know, if you're in a crowded flea market, maybe that would be a place where personally I would decide to put on, I am vaccinated, but I would decide to put on it. So it's, there are levels to that, but if you're out and about and, you know, you're, you know, at the mall, you're going to need to, because it's inside, but if you're out and about and there's, you're with a group of people that are also vaccinated, um, then, and, or you can sort of distance yourself from other people, then I would say, yes, it, it is safe. It is safe. Now that you may see people walking out and about without a vac, without a mask on who are not vaccinated. And this is one of the issues with the new guidelines. We don't know who is and who is not, but the greatest part about this vaccine is that it works. It's a hundred percent effective against death. 100% effective against death. So even if you're next in line to someone at the ice cream store who has COVID, that vaccine is protecting you. And that's a beautiful thing. And if I could add, that is a real important point because you know we wear masks and do other things and distance as a way of interrupting the spread of the virus, but the vaccine actually protects you from the virus. So when you're, when you're around people, and, and like Dr. Wurzel said, you don't know if people are vaccinated or not. The only thing you can know is yourself. And if you are vaccinated, then you are protected. That's the, that's the one thing you can do that we all have the ability to do that really, really carries a lot of weight in how we move through the community. So I, I wanna weigh in, um, Shira. And we all um, in my family had COVID in April after basically living a quarantine life for 14 months. Um, my daughter, who's two and doesn't wear a mask, got COVID through daycare and brought it home to all of us. Um, even my nine-year-old is totally remote schooling. Um, and so we're that risk averse. My husband and I are privileged to be able to work at home. And, um, and that was that. And so I think one thing that ends up being forgotten is that our children are not vaccinated. And so there is a really um, good, and, and also we got the positive test a day before my husband and I were, had our appointments to get vaccinated, right? So getting sick pushed off our vaccination schedule we got vaccinated as soon as we possibly could. I'm still not fully vaccinated. I'm getting my second vaccine tomorrow. Um, but there, I, I do believe that we all need to have a consciousness about the fact that the children among us are not vaccinated. And so therefore, you may see a lot of parents wearing masks to model for our children that the kids still need to wear masks. Um, and I, I do feel like that's... Um, it's a subset of the population that we forget about when we think about, oh, what can we do? What are our privileges and what are our freedoms now? Um, because those kids, even though maybe the spread in the Medford public schools was low, the kids are still spreading it to each other, right? So, and if they spread it to each other, then they will spread it easily to their adults who aren't vaccinated. So 
I just, I, I feel like that's an important point that we need to mention that we're not just talking about an adult population who needs to get vaccinated, but kids aren't yet vaccinated and kids are a part of our community. Um, so when you see, when we go to the park and we're playing on the playground equipment, the kids are wearing masks because they're, they're breathing on each other, right? They're spitting on each other. That's just what happens with kids. So I just wanted to weigh in in, in terms of that. And basically, um, if we're a little bit more careful than we wanna be, we can actually circumvent some major upsets in our lives um, by having a whole, your whole family unit break out with COVID. Thank you for that, Jira. And along those lines, another question that pops up pretty frequently um, is, would you, is it better to have natural immunity through getting COVID? And would I still need to be, get, need to get vaccinated since I have the antibodies? And as Shira just explained, she had both the antibodies and his, is thank you for getting your second vaccine tomorrow. But we all know it's two full weeks before you're considered fully vaccinated. But would anyone like to answer that question? Is it better to have natural immunity or get a vaccine? I would love to take that question. Okay, can I just weigh in real quick? All the advice we got was, you don't, there's strains going around. Like there's other, I don't know if that's true, but we were told, even if you have COVID, go get the vaccine because you don't know about the variants. N none of us, none of us know enough to know how things are, are, um, are evolving. So anyway, that's the advice I got. I'm curious to hear what you have to say. I'll go on mute. Shira, thank you for sharing your story. And I'm sorry you got sick, but you did the right thing getting vaccinated. Um, so what do we know about um, uh, infection? We know that infection could pose numerous risks. First of all, it puts you at risk for severe disease, for hospitalization, perhaps respiratory failure where you need to go on a ventilator. And if you get hospitalized and you're in the ICU, you're there several weeks. It's not a short illness. And to complicate things, regardless of your severity of illness, you could have mild illness, moderate illness or severe illness. We know that probably about 10 to 15% of individuals who get COVID will have uh, the layman's term is long haulers syndrome, but now there's a scientific term for it. It's post acute sequelae of COVID and it's real. I mean, it, it debilitates people that were very high level functioning people to the point where they can't work, they can't think clearly, they have a lot of cardiac problems, lung problems, neurologic problems. Uh, and we're just learning about this uh, past C, they call it for short. Um, the, the good news is we think with patients and treatment of symptoms, it people get better, but it could take months. So you do not wanna get COVID. We cannot predict who's gonna get this, uh, this past C syndrome. Some people have gotten it and actually didn't even know they had COVID. They had asymptomatic COVID. And only when they developed these symptoms and had an antibody test, was it realized that this is part of the sequelae of COVID. So no one should wanna get COVID. Natural disease is not the way to go. On the other hand, if you get COVID, we know you're probably protected, um, probably, several months, 
with even before you get vaccinated. But we also know based on recent data, if you have natural infection and get vaccinated, you have very robust immunity to the point where you may never need to get vaccinated again, even though those of us who had not had suffered from COVID and got the vaccine, we may very likely need to get boosters. But the natural immunity followed by vaccination seems to be really awesome in terms of preventing future infection and even to the point of all the emerging variants. So you're in a great place right now, Shira. So along those lines of natural immunity and um, producing antibodies after vaccination to, is it safe to assume one of the questions that was um, popped up in the Q&A, is it safe to assume that the vaccine will only be effective for about six months before we need a booster? No, um, every, so people started getting the vaccine about a year ago. And so the way that it works is they sort of report it in chunks. So we, they report it as a chunk of, we've only, you know, they've only followed those people for a certain time, a certain time period. I think most of us believe that the vaccine um, will be effective more than six months. Um, and I think, Honestly, a lot of us are um, quite happy about how the vaccine is working against these variants of concern. Um, I know that's a question that comes up a lot. So the virus is always, it's always been mutating. We only started thinking about it mutating recently, but from day one, this virus was mutated. Sometimes it mutated in our favor, meaning it got less severe. And sometimes it mutated against us, meaning either it could transmit quicker or easier or made people sicker. And so one of the great things about Massachusetts is we seem to have either gotten ahead of it or, you know, with our robust vaccine schedule and everyone getting vaccinated. Um, so at this point, there are booster uh, uh, trials going on. So where people who got the vaccine a year ago are now getting a second shot. And there's a lot of really smart people sitting around trying to figure out all these questions. So I can't tell you if and when we'll need a booster yet, but I am pretty confident, I'm interested to hear what the other doctor, I'm pretty confident that the vaccine will protect you more than six months. Yeah, uh, there was just a preprint that came out where immunologists did bone marrow exams on some patients who had COVID and their memory B cells in their bone marrow were good out a year later. So that's really some more interesting and reassuring information that those of us who got vaccinated should be fine at least for a year from what we know at this point in time. Everyone should also be, be confident that there are enough people watching over this vaccine and at the response to this vaccine that the information will come out in chunks and pieces. And I'm going to guess it, it's, it's a basically it's a monthly check. On, on antibody levels and your, your efficiency of your immunity, that it's just, can you just remember that the focus is so intense on this vaccine and the, and the uh, uh, positive effect it has on everyone that I don't, I, I can't imagine that if it ever gets to a point that it starts to wane a little bit where you might need a booster that we would not know that. You know, just the, the science around this and the number of people involved in overseeing this vaccine is just incredible. Just to build off of that, Dr. Spardella, um, I think a question that comes up a lot and um, is, you know, 
or that people who I've worked with say, want to say is that black Latinx and indigenous people, indigenous, indigenous people were involved with the creation of and involved in the clinical trials. So this, there is a history of structural racism across our country. It has led to people who are black and brown to get COVID more often and die from COVID more often. Not because bodies are different, but just because access to resources are different. Unfortunately, what I see at play, or as a consequence of that, that same structural racism is a barrier for trust in this vaccine. And I, as a white lady, haven't walked that path. So I'm not telling people how to feel. I'm just saying, I'm acknowledging that there is this history across the, across the world and especially in our country, but to counter that, black, brown people have been involved in the development of this vaccine, have been involved in the clinical trials of this vaccine. Um, and I hope that can offer some, um, some feeling of safety and protection. Thank you for that, Dr. Roussel. And, and to touch upon that a little bit more, um, Gabrielle or Samuel, can you explain to us some of the steps that um, the DPH has taken and that local boards of health have taken the guidance from uh, the DPH in helping to gain trust in the communities where some there may be some mistrust due to the lack of healthcare that they've had in the past and what sort of barriers you guys have been trying to break down to allow for equitable access to vaccines? Gabrielle? Oh, okay, go ahead, go ahead, Sam. I was gonna Probably say, uh, well, uh, for, for more than, uh, for about a decade now, equity has been a top priority for the state Department of Public Health. And uh, we have done tremendous work uh, in trying to uh, bring a level of equity at all levels, especially within the health field, the public health field, and where we can influence things in, in many ways. Uh, we have uh, done a lot of work, especially around the social determinants of health and working with many institutions uh, myself, I work with a number of healthcare, healthcare facilities, including hospital, where we, I am addressing this particular issue, trying to uh, narrow the gap uh, among populations and services, and looking at these at, at different, at, 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 in different ways. So, in particular, with the vaccine, for this this past year and right now. Uh, the focus has gotten stronger. And I think if you look at one of the decisions, one of the, uh, should I say, um, conditions or requirement, one of the uh, lens for making decision on vaccine distribution was to ensure uh, equity in distribution. So uh, that was top priority among everybody that DPH had gathered around. So it wasn't going to just go to a certain group of people. We wanted to make sure that it went uh, to uh, preserve the healthcare system, reduce or eliminate 
mortality reduced, ensuring that everyone who needed it uh, had it, but also not only looking at doctors and, and, and nurses in hospitals, but looking broadly so uh, as well in that. Second to that, uh, DPH has, um, through the, the state, I should say, through DPH has invested a lot of money into a health equity project specifically related to the vaccine. One of them was uh, something I was uh, reviewing was about $28 million. And I like to put it this way in this term because people uh, in the community understand this language. When we said the money and the people that we would have to, to help deal with the issue of uh, equity was uh, mom and pops shop, if you will to help work this and bring uh, when the student have worked with the people who have the credibility, who have done the work, who may not have had that the money, but who are very, very familiar. So taking it to the community and having the community uh, do it themselves and by investing resources, personnel uh, into the community itself to help reduce the level of trust. Um, if I may share something personal, well, I may not have uh, the history of the Tuskegee, some people have, but I do have the history of uh, when uh, Haitians were labeled as AIDS carriers. And I lived through that, so I understand what, what, what that means. But when, I'm, I, when I look at the progress as limited as people may say, but there still is progress that's been done. And when I look at the uh, diversity in power, diversity in leadership, diversity in project, diversity in resources, diversity in investment. So we're breaking down these barriers to ensure that uh, everyone is um, treated equitably, especially in healthcare. So that alone itself uh, has given me, that's why I'm here, I can say that. That's why I can speak to them as well. And that's one of the reasons that I can step up to do that uh, based on the work that um, DPH has done and the amount of investment it has taken. And, um, uh, and equity is going to remain one of the top three priority that the department is gonna continue to address. And I can tell you that my primary task, one of my primary tasks, I work with several healthcare facilities a lot and all the acute care hospital to ensure equity in healthcare. Thank you for that. Gabrielle, do you have something to add? Yes, Sam, you hit it right on the head. I don't have much to add, but um, coming from that age group of that uh, seems like um, where the, the lower vaccination rates are in Medford in that 25 to 40 age group. Um, when it comes to the work that DPH is doing, it is definitely boots on the ground and we do need to meet people where they are uh, meet the community where they are. Um, and just as Sam said, it, it is all about equity and giving the familiar voices, whether it be the church groups or the community centers that uh, people are already um, used to frequenting and giving them the right information and getting the facts out to them so that um, when somebody goes into um, and wants more information about the vaccine, they can hear from trusted voices. Um, that's just one little part of equity. And in, in this project, I feel like um, just for myself, I, I can see um, that it's really coming from the mom and pop, um, the small groups and, and talking, getting the answers um, that people are looking for. So it, it's working. 
Great. The DPH has been doing a great job. Um, but if it's simply, and I, can I add something else? If you look, just look at the number, when you look at the number, who's getting vaccinated more? White people. So if you're afraid it's gonna do something to you, and that's where I bring the personal into it. If you're afraid it's gonna do something to you, do something to them before it gets to you because everywhere that you go, you see that's happening. So that level of trust also, um, it, it's more, probably mostly about fear, but you can bring common sense and fear because now I'm speaking mainly to the participants who are listening, not so much to the panelists, but the participant is that level of fear. Just look at what's around you and the number, look at what's going on. That alone should, the environment itself and the go, if you're afraid, go to another community and look who's, who's taking it, look who's doing what, study it yourself. Just spend a few minutes will uh, impact your attitude will impact your experience and will uh, give you some new learning. And that may alleviate some of the fear that you have. Great, thank you. Um, there's been a few questions since um, that this conversation started. So I just wanted to go into the Q&A section and answer a few of those. One question submitted was, is it really safe to fly? And would you personally take a trip during these summer months? Yep, Dr. Spardella. Well, I'm getting on a plane this Sunday. So, so yes, I, I think, you know, uh, again, there, there, it's a contained area. It's a, as, as more and more people get vaccinated and more and more people actually will follow the rules. You know, uh, it's, it's just that it's such a, a closed group. I can understand why people are afraid. And I think that's why also uh, the, the recommendations are to, to still wear a mask in those, are, in those areas of, of the, the airport or in, or in the actual jet plane itself. Uh, but I, I would say because of, the, because of the, the steps we take to protect ourselves and the number of people being vaccinated, I think it's it's pretty safe. Plus, the air exchange system in an airplane goes through a special filter, which really helps to protect. Uh, it all depends on the person next to you if they're following the rules that are set up for the flight itself. But I, I would consider it safe at this point, and I am getting on a plane. I'm kind oh, wow. of on the other and side um, where I have a four and six year old to, sh to so to Shira's point before, you know, they're not vaccinated. And if there is a 5% chance that I could still get it and pass it to, to them, um, it's more, it, honestly, it's more about the quality of life that would endure from, you know, the weeks of, of, uh, of uh, quarantine, not from my fear of them getting severely ill or me getting severely ill. So I think once the kids are vaccinated, um, I would feel safe. Um, I, but I think if, if you're in a position where you, you don't have those same conditions, um, then, then I think it makes, you know, or everyone makes their own decision. They even asked, I think there was an article in the globe where they asked like all these different experts and, and everyone had different opinions about it. Um, so I think at this point, it's, it's just sort of a, a personal kind of decision. Yes, and I, I, I agree with you, Dr. Roussel, but it's, it is also, as I was listening to you, one more reason why it is important to get vaccinated. Uh, as we're thinking about and we've been discussing the new normal, many of us have not had a chance to be out of our neighborhood, let alone go visit a family. And uh, this, uh, the vaccine offers us 
that opportunity to be able to do so. And like uh, Dr. Sabella, Sabadella, I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name, I'm looking forward to go seeing my sister to be able to take the family, all of us have been able to be vaccinated. So that affords us a level of getting back as a, as a community, getting back together and being out there and be in the restaurant, being in your neighborhood, talk to your neighbors anymore. So that, and to, to be able to display, uh, to, um, the, the, to model those behavior with face masks continue to remain distancing. That also is very teachable for other people to understand. And when that happened, hey, you want to have this new normal that we're going to have? There's one more reason for us to, for you to consider getting vaccinated. And that's actually the basis of me saying I think it's, it's, it's safe is that I'm vaccinated. Yeah. So I, I, you know, again, like we've said a number of times here, being vac vaccinated offers you so much more opportunity. And so much more, you get to a, a state of comfort, maybe a little bit easier in that. But the, the, the real key is getting vaccinated. It does seem to open the door to a lot of things that have not been available, to, safely available to us in the last 14 months. So. I agree with um, what, what's been said. I think everybody needs to do their own personal risk assessment. Um, I too have gotten on a plane after I was vaccinated to go visit my daughter, which I would have not done before I had reached full immunity. And I also went out to dinner with her while I visited her, which was the first time I went out to dinner in over a year. Uh, so vaccination opens up all sorts of safe opportunities. I would not get on a plane if I was not vaccinated. I would not go out to dinner if I was not vaccinated, especially now because no one else is going to be wearing masks and there's not going to be limitations on capacity. It's the vaccination that opens up the door to resuming life the way we used to know it. And along those same lines, as you see driving through the city or wherever you may go, that concerts are starting up again. I'm sure everyone's emails are, are getting alerts that concerts are starting or you see that Fenway and Gillette and in places like that are going to be open to full capacity. So in everyone's opinion, what would be, um, how do I phrase this? The safest way to attend events, like you said, to try and uh, resume normal life or what normal life would be, what would you say is the safest way to do that as well? I think again, being vaccinated, vaccinated. <laughs> you know, it keeps, go keeps going back to that because it, it's available. It, it's an option that people have and, and it does open doors and it, it, it can just get you to think a little differently, like move back toward pre-COVID, the pre-COVID world. I, I, I get everyone makes their own choice. I think if the vaccine wasn't available or if, like Dr. Murth said, if, if she wasn't vaccinated, if I wasn't vaccinated, I wouldn't go to a concert. You know, I just, but, but being fully vaccinated makes me think I may want to go. <laughs> you know, it gives you that little bit of freedom that we have all been, we've been sort of guardrailed and contained for so many months that I think it keeps coming back to getting over your fear of being vaccinated, uh, concern about being vaccinated and, and getting vaccinated. I mean, it just, it's, it's the, it, right now, it seems to be the key to allow for individual decision-making. 
where it really doesn't depend on others. So I, that's that would be my answer to any of those questions. Like you had mentioned before, you knowing that you're vaccinated is, you have no idea who's around you. They no. may have no mask on and you could assume that they're vaccinated, but you don't know. So like you mentioned, knowing that you're vaccinated is the number one thing you could do. Yeah. Perfect. Um, one question that does pop up frequently because the panelists did a great job of answering the questions that were already in the Q&A section. Um, is people are concerned about the unknown long-term effects of the vaccine. So can anyone touch upon, uh, I know it was mentioned that these trials started well over a year ago. So we're still monitoring, especially through the Be Safe program, which in the beginning is a little annoying at first because they do text you every day to ask you how you're doing. But then it's also nice and reassuring because I'm a few months post-vaccination and it's nice that someone's still checking in with me to make sure that I'm doing okay. So what um, would you say to people who are concerned about the long-term effects of the vaccine? So I could start. Um, one thing uh, that we do know based on all the vaccine research that's been conducted over the years is that uh, side effects following vaccine almost always, and I wanna say something like 90% of the time, rear their ugly head within the first eight weeks. So if there was something unexpected, I think we would have known by now because we were more than a year out from when the clinical trials first started. And as part of the FDA, the full approval that these vaccines will eventually have, it's uh, required of the uh, companies to present more long-term data on their vaccines. So they're still following all the clinical trial participants out to present this data. So there is still a lens on the safety of these vaccines uh, and that will continue. So I think given the fact that uh, these vaccines have been approved since December and we're not seeing any red flags, it's safe to say we should not ever see any long-term safety concerns emerge. Um, I just wanna jump in here also and just remind people if they're on the fence about long-term effects of the vaccine that when you get COVID, it's horrible, okay? And so you will have long-term effects of COVID likely. And so we're in a pandemic where nobody wins, it's horrible. And so you're choosing between two things, but you know that COVID will likely be worse and you may be a lifer with COVID. So I was very, very lucky, but I had an elephant sitting on my chest for a month. And I am a mom of three kids. I work full time. We rely upon my income for my family. And to have to live that way after being in quarantine for, you know, for, for a year after, after dodging this thing, you don't want to get it. So just it's getting vaccinated is going to be a lot better than getting COVID and risking being a lifer. And I'm just so lucky that I was able to recover to the point that I have, but you know, you may not be that lucky person. And can I just add um, just thinking about, thank you, Shira, for sharing that. And I think that was kind of, as a young person, I 
Um, a lot of people in my age group think that they're invincible. And um, of course your whole family got sick from your toddler, but um, and some of and some people have no symptoms whatsoever and you could have passed it on to elderly family members that could have not had the same result as you or not recovered. Um, so I think that was my biggest thing. And I, I am fully vaccinated as of, uh, I think tomorrow. Um, so I think that was my, one of my biggest things that I don't know if I could, I could maybe not have any symptoms, but I could pass it on to my mother that has other health issues or somebody else. Um, and that's the biggest thing that was what changed my mind when it came to vaccination. So thank you, Cher. I'd also like to make the point that we are in a much better place now, but we are still having new admissions get admitted to our hospital every day. And they've all been unvaccinated. And honestly, it breaks my heart because it was preventable. We know the vaccines prevent hospitalization. To see a young person on a ventilator because they didn't get vaccinated, it just breaks my heart. And, you know, I just don't want to continue to see that. And, um, you know, I would urge everyone who is thinking about it, get, maybe getting closer to please speak with your primary care provider. Keep the conversation going. Vaccines are available. They will continue to be available to you, but don't wait too long. Don't get COVID while you're on the fence. I just want to point out, um, you know, we all take risks in our life and it's interesting and I'm not trying to be adversarial, but I found you know, sometimes people who say they're worried about the 10 year risks of vaccines or smoking cigarettes or doing other actions. And, and you know, as a previous smoker, I'm not, I, it was one of the hardest things to quit, but I'm just saying it's interesting how the conversation about COVID vaccines and the risks when there's like very concrete risks that some of us or we choose to take. Um, and I hope that some people potentially as a result of this, can sort of think about the risks that you take. Now, I'm not talking about like jaywalking is a risk, but you know, a lot of us do it. It's Boston, you know, but there's certain things that we do. And in comparison to these things that we do, whether it be driving on the Mass Pike or Storrow Drive or, you know, or whatever it is, <laughs> this vaccine is so safe <laughs> compared to those risks so safe compared to so many other things that we decide to, to ignore those risks. But so just, I wonder if it's helpful. And I, I feel like I'm being like a naggy mom in this sentence, and I hope it doesn't come across that way. Um, I was, when I was talking to people about it yesterday, someone said they didn't want it because it was a needle and they were head to toe tattooed. And I couldn't understand. And I couldn't, I couldn't understand, you know, and they said a tattoo is different than a vaccine needle, but I'm thinking a tattoo is way more painful than a vaccine needle. So I guess I wish we could reframe it, you know, and think about it. There's so much, it's a buzz thing. It's people want to talk about it. They'll mention it at the, you know, at the, the water cooler at the coffee place. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years and then go out, jaywalk, you know, drive on the mass pike. So there's all these things that we do and COVID has altered our system of what's risky and what's not. It shattered our world. We're all coming off of a year of grief. Um, so I just hope we can sort of, I don't know, to, to re-examine what is that, that this is a very safe vaccine. This is a very safe vaccine. What, one thing that oh, uh, Dr. Bruno Murtha, oh, sorry, Samuel. No, uh, you can... no uh, sorry about that. I, I, I um, as Dr. Roussel was uh, talking about, um, 
she also the, the what she was saying reminded me of many conversations that I've had with different people, and uh, in regard to risk and 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 fear and mistrust, and I could not understand it, but it came down to uh, the type of and uh, what they were saying to me, and it was a lot of misinformation that they allowed to infiltrate their mind and overtake them and directed their decision-making and disinformation, misinformation, bad information, however you, whatever you wanna call it, label you wanna put to it. So I would say to everyone who's listening right now, uh, what you listen to matters and who you listen to matters. And the next best thing also is you can be one to stop misinformation and stop spreading it. Misinformation can stop with you. And that is one of the steps that we can take all of us. And especially those of you who are listening, when, when you hear something, question it, ask and speak uh, and find information with credible sources. And also some people you trust who you know who are competent and understand and can share uh, uh, the truth of the matter and the content with you in a way not only you can understand but would also give you what it exactly is and one of these person one of these people many of these people uh you've been following them since you were young they're your doctors your nurses they're people your colleagues sometimes who, who understand these things who see these things so i would say that uh misinformation especially at the beginning of this uh uh, uh last last march march have done us a lot of wrong and i think that all of us can take a step to reclaim back uh truth in science truth in reality, truth, in content, and stop misinformation ourselves. Thank you. Um, it was touched upon briefly, and um, I would love opinions on people. One of the big questions that keeps popping up are that people who are fully vaccinated are still getting and contracting COVID. So that's considered a breakthrough um, infection. And while we all know that vaccines aren't 100% effective, the fact that people are still contracting COVID despite being vaccinated is a really big deterrent for some and they don't see a point in being vaccinated. So do you mind touching upon why it's still important to be vaccinated um, even though there is still that 5% chance like you mentioned that you may still contract COVID? Well, I can tell you, uh figure I heard last night at Tufts was that the national rate of breakthrough infection is 0.01% around there. It's really, 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 really rare. If you think of all the, vac of all the vaccinations that have been administered across the country. And again, there will, there will be, you know, there's, there's no vaccine that is 100% effective in 100% of the people who receive it. There isn't, but there is a degree. There's, there's, there will always be someone who breaks through, but it is such a rare, rare, rare event that I think it would be a big mistake for anyone to avoid receiving the vaccination based on, on that potential. Because you're much greater risk of getting a COVID infection, you know, than, than to get a breakthrough infection from being vaccinated. It's just that, that number really, that, that reason to not 
received the vaccine really, really, uh, I don't understand that. I, mean, I understand the fear, but I don't understand that because the breakthrough percentage is so low, so low. So. And to build off of what Dr. Sardello said, um, even among the very, very rare individual who has a breakthrough infection, we know that their infection is mild. They're not the patients that are getting hospitalized. They're not the patients going to the intensive care unit and dying of COVID. And um, you know, we have seen uh, some re uh, infections in our vaccinated healthcare workers, but fortunately, they've all had mild illness. So um, more of a reason to get vaccinated um, as soon as you possibly can. I was just gonna say, um, yesterday I was talking to a bunch of people and they said that their reason for not getting vaccinated is that they didn't want anyone to tell them what to do with their body. You know, that there was this feeling, and I, I wonder if that's what's going on with the 20 to four, I mean, I'm on the cusp of that. Um, and this feeling, they said, why every time I meet someone, they keep on telling me to get vaccinated. I'm just tired of people talking about it. I wish people would go away and stop talking about it. Um, and, and they just felt like, they just felt it was this thing that was encroaching and they couldn't run away from. And that was one of the reasons why they didn't want it. <laughs> um, and I, I tried to kind of get her, I mean, there's a lot of things we don't wanna do in our life, um, but we do it because the long-term benefits are, are outweigh the short-term badness of it. Um, so I guess, if you're out there and if you're a person who's, you know, feeling like I just don't want to do it because, you know, the government's telling me to do it or my mom, I've heard people say my mom told me to do it and I didn't want to do it because I don't want, you know, I don't want my mom to tell me what to do. I don't know who you listen to or who you want to tell you to do it, but more than anything, I just want you to be alive next year. <laughs> I just want us to be alive and to celebrate and to sit in the holidays in December together and there's all these things. So it's not a matter of I'm telling you to do this because it's what I, I mean, I think it's best for you, but I hope there's some little voice inside that can say, okay, a lot of people are telling me this and I hate that they're telling me this, but it might be the right thing to do. <laughs> I think the difficult thing is in our world is it's COVID every day for the last 14 months. And at some point, whether it's the negative side of COVID or the, the positive side of a vaccine, it's just never ending. And I think I find that people are just exhausted with any thought. And sometimes the easiest thing is to do nothing. You know? And what we tell people, we ask people is, you please take a step back for a second in just a moment and separate yourselves from the last 14 months and think of the direction you want to take. That's really difficult. I mean, there isn't a day that we don't function and something COVID comes up, something. And, and the same questions come up over and over and over again. The same concerns come up over and over and over again. And I think we have to acknowledge that. And part of talking to people around hesitancy is understanding that. People are tired of everything possible, every bit of information. Don't tell me what to do. I can't take another piece of this COVID world anymore. But we have to get people, you have to go, you have to go beyond that. 
you have to because you have an opportunity right now. Uh, I can remember when I when I received my vac- vaccination back in December. It's like the best day, like for a little bit of cheer for for a moment, in my in my in, internally, and then okay. I, I, I wish everyone had that same sense, but it is really difficult to get beyond the anxiety, the stress, and the and just the the never-ending influx of information. You know, so it's just I, I can understand why people say, "Don't tell me what to do anymore," <laughs> you know, because that's all they've heard for fourteen months. You know, but I and I would just. Thank you, Dr. Sardella. I would just like to quickly add for anybody listening that's in that questioning um, age group and all of us are tired of hearing about COVID every day for these, this past year and more. Um, but personally, I have not um, tr- contracted COVID, so I'm thankful to God for that. But I imagine that the people that are most tired about hearing uh, about COVID are people like Shira that have experienced it experienced it head on and those that have um, lost family members to this and especially the healthcare workers that have seen this day in and day out and seen young and old um, die by themselves. So when it comes to being tired about COVID, I feel like, I think we should be tired of um, just seeing all of this death that could have been, um, well, at the, at the early stages couldn't have been prevented, but now with the vaccine, it can be prevented. So I think we should be so tired that it's not, you're not only thinking about yourself at this point, you need to think about um, your friends, your families that you could be protecting while getting, by getting vaccinated and as well as your whole community and the, and the rest of this country too. So each one of us has that job to, to get there. So I think that's what we should be tired of, tired of the death, that's for sure. Thank you for that, Gabrielle. I, I absolutely agree that you know, some some people, you know, whether it be in the ER or behind the scenes, you know, have actually been experiencing COVID a, a little bit longer than, than the March 2020 date because, you know, labs were popping up. People weren't testing positive for the flu, but, you know, doctors and nurses and people had no idea what was happening prior to COVID, you know, you know, gaining the national, national story that it did get. So, um, but one last thing that I would like to touch upon um, before we wrap this up is hopefully listening to everyone's amazing stories and you know the education that everyone provided here is invaluable. So thank you so much. But one last thing that I'd like to, to get out there is hopefully a lot of people will listen to this after the fact or people who are listening to it today and will decide to get vaccinated. But there are um, additional barriers that people may have, including, you know, no access to technology, no access to a car, and it's really hard for some people to feel like they can't be vaccinated. So is can somebody just touch upon the access and how people who don't have, uh, who may not possibly have access to a vehicle or to a computer, how they would be able to get vaccinated? Well, I could speak for our vaccine clinics that uh, we have. Um, they are walk, open to walk-ins. So you don't need an appointment. You don't need computer access. And at Cambridge Health Alliance, if you go onto our webpage, there is also a way to access a uh, voucher for a cab. So you don't need to have a car. You can access a free voucher 
And that information should be up on our website. And if it's not up there tonight, it should be up there tomorrow. Cause I know that we have received a grant to provide that service to anyone who has challenges with transportation. There is an 800 number that I can't remember, but if you call 211, 211 is the state number that will connect you and will connect you to a facility that is in your neighborhood where you can get vaccinated. There's also mobile vaccination uh, 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 site, if you say, that's going on around. So again, what um, the uh, Department of Public Health tried to do is to be where you're at so that we would remove transportation issues if you had any if you have uh technological uh, technology issues try to remove that everybody uh right now can get to a phone and call 211 uh they like the doctor says um you could also call for transportation they'll take you there if you have if you are a person with disability we try to work and try to remove this this um this barrier as well. So, uh, so all of these are places, uh, things that people can do. So there is transportation. There are places in your uh, community where you can go. And the next best friend you have, if you just call your primary care physician or, or provider, they can also help you and connect you with the right resources and they'll get you, believe me, uh, I have seen them at work. All these doctors believe uh, I, uh, you guys, um, I want to say thank you for all that you do. You are dedicated, passionate, and you get us to where we need to do. When we, when I, I, I remember I made a phone call for my sister and boom, 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 he, the doctor was on it. And so many other people have told me the same testimony. So thank you for all that you do. It's not just coming and, and, and say the right thing on, on as a panelist and look, wonderful and great you do the work and we appreciate that and we thank you as well for doing that you are our best one of our best friends in this pandemic that's true yes and i just want to add um cbs and walgreens are now off offering um the vaccine so and i believe uh, the lyft app is is giving discounted uh rights to vaccination sites Perfect, thank you. And just to wrap this up, we did a great time. We did a good job with the timing. So I'll wrap this up quickly. But as Brooke puts it up on the screen, if anybody who is listening to this today or who may listen to this in the future, um, you can reach out to the Medford resource line and we're able to help connect you with the ride. Like Samuel had mentioned, we can connect you and find those vouchers. We can figure out the closest site, whether it be a Walgreens, um, a Target, or whatever it may be, CVS, or even a local uh, clinic here within the city of Medford. So if you have any questions in regards to receiving a vaccine, anything public health related, or you just want to reach out, feel free to call the city of Medford's um, multilingual resource line with the number listed right there. And we'll get back to you as soon as possible. You can call on behalf of yourself, on behalf of a family member, or a neighbor, whoever you wanna call about, we greatly appreciate it. And on behalf of the Medford Health Department in the city of Medford, I'd like to thank all of the panelists who gave us their time today and thoroughly explained um, the importance of being vaccinated and steps that you can take in staying safe and keeping those that you love um, safe as well. 
I'd also like to thank all of the attendees for coming, coming listening and asking some great questions that provided um, great feedback by our panelists and maybe some questions that people are, have maybe been afraid to ask or didn't want to ask. So I thank you for that. And on that note, uh, I hope you all have a great evening and it was great spending it with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The recording has stopped. Sarah, thank you. That was fantastic. Can you breathe now, Brooke? Are you okay? I am okay. <laughs> I, I told you. So good. <laughs> I told Jackie, my, my mother and her mother were on the school committee together for quite some time. And I said, I got it from my mama. All my, I hate public speaking, but I've gotten better at it through the web. So thank you for allowing it to happen this way. Thank you. And thank Thanks. you, Luz, definitely for interpreting for us and um, the other interpreters who are still here, Joshua and um, Marwana. Thank you so much for interpreting for us. Um, greatly appreciated. Uh, hopefully you. you had people in your breakout rooms. If not, um, like we mentioned at the beginning of this, the recording will still be displayed. So should anybody um, want to listen to it after. So thank you so much for that. That was really, really great. Hi, thank you. It's, I, um, I agree. It was so good. Yeah. Where do we go from here? It was so good. And these are all gone, so we can chat. Um, yeah. yeah, that was amazing. I, I really wish that Zoom had the capability to do the interpretation because I thought I think that would have been incredibly helpful. But yeah, um, note for next time we'll have to sort of figure that out. But I, I just thought mm -hmm. it was really great. Um, Medford Community Media, I think they're still on here. They, I, I checked, they were airing it live. Oh, uh, good. Yeah, so cool. Hopefully, there'll be a link. Um, to I their think they still might. Well. I think they still might be. So they're still on my screen. We're not okay. Really. Well, I just say it. It just says I still have a box for Medford Community. That's all. I'm just telling. Right. Okay. Hmm. Well then just in case we'll end it but i really i think that was very well done and i appreciate okay. all the work that you all did and we can follow up maybe tomorrow sounds good thank you jackie thank you steve have a yeah. lovely evening yeah, thanks everybody it was great you too okay bye-bye great job sarah <laughs>